0: And so here, the word of God, the song of Christmas, Zechariah's song, Luke chapter 1, I'll begin at verse 67. His father Zechariah was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, "'Praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel, because he has come and has redeemed his people. He has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David.'" as he said through his holy prophets of long ago, salvation from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us, to show mercy to our fathers, and to remember his holy covenant, the oath he swore to our father Abraham, to rescue us from the hand of our enemies and to enable us to serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all our days. And you, my child, will be called a prophet of the Most High, For you will go on before the Lord to prepare the way for him, to give his people the knowledge of salvation through the forgiveness of their sins because of the tender mercy of our God, by which the rising sun will come to us from heaven to shine on those living in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the path of peace. Let me pray for us as we listen to God's word. Father, I ask that you would work in our hearts, that we would hear with truth your, your proclamation. Lord, for those who are here without a knowledge of Jesus as Savior, and Lord, that they would hear the announcement this morning of salvation, of the forgiveness of sins, of your tender mercy. Lord, let those that are here respond to this good news. Lord, for those of us who have put our trust in Christ, let us, let us hear the, the prophecy of, of Zechariah, That you have come to rescue us, to enable us to serve you without fear, to live lives of holiness and righteousness before you. Lord, strengthen us for this task. Let the gospel message, the message of Christmas, be clear to us today. We pray in the name of Jesus, our Savior. Amen. The story behind a song can change a song's meaning. The Drifters had the number one hit in 1960, Save the Last Dance for Me. It sounds like a simple love song. A boy watching this girl on the dance floor, but asking, pleading, Save the Last Dance for Me. The the lyrics, Don't forget who's taking you home, and in whose arms you're going to be, so darling." Save the last dance for me. It sounds like a simple love song. The kind of top 40 hit you would expect. But there's a story behind the song. The story springs from the memory of, of Doc Pomus's own wedding. As a child, Doc contracted polio, so he used crutches to get around. But his beautiful bride was a Broadway singer and dancer. And so at their own wedding reception, as as family and friends danced, he told her, Dance. It's your wedding. Enjoy it. Get up and dance. And he watched her dance with cousins and uncles, watched her dance with his own brother. And she came back to the table and promised him, I will save the last dance for you. Reflecting on the, the memory of the day he he scribbled the lyrics later to the song. A song which has been recorded over and over again, one of the, the most recorded and heard songs in, in, in America. For everything from, from Dolly Parton's country version to, to Bruce Springsteen's rock and roll version, save the last dance for me. He actually wrote the first draft of the lyrics on an unused wedding invitation that they had sitting around because it was a memory from his own wedding. A a biographer explains, Under his pen, Doc Pomus's simple declaration of love gives way to vulnerability and fear. A simple love song, when you know the story behind the song, shows the heartache of a man watching his bride dance when he cannot but it's still a profound song of devoted, desperate love. See, the story behind the song shows us its depth and its power. It's more than a pop ballad. And Zechariah's song here in the opening chapter of Luke's gospel is a song of praise to the Lord, the God of Israel. It echoes with the imagery of the the Psalms of the Old Testament songbook. But the story behind the song shows us its depth and power. I mean, consider with me the, the story behind this song. Luke has already given it to us. You have to, to turn back to the beginning of chapter 1. In my Bible, I actually have to turn a page just to stay within the chapter. This is one of those really long chapters because Luke is so excited to announce to us what is happening. But, it, but as you turn back to the beginning of Luke's gospel, we have, we have the introduction, but then the, the first character to step on the stage is surprisingly a little-known priest Zechariah look back with me at at chapter 1 verse 5 in the time of Herod king of Judea there was a priest named Zechariah who belonged to the priestly division of Abijah his wife Elizabeth was also a descendant of Aaron both of them were upright in the sight of God observing all the Lord's commandments and regulations blamelessly you you hear the, the the beginning of this story the first character to step on the, the Christmas stage is Zechariah. He's a, a priest from the division of Abijah, a descendant of, of Aaron, the first high priest, the brother of Moses, and so is Elizabeth. It's a double blessing, both father and mother, but they aren't yet. But both are from the, the, the tribe of, of Levi, descendants of Aaron. We're told that they're they're here in the time of Herod, king of Judea. It sets the context for us, a time of, of oppression, the, the half-Jewish king who has made an alliance with Rome to, to keep his power. There's oppression in the land. They have freedom to worship, but not true freedom. We're told that they were upright in the sight of God. God saw them and saw their faithfulness. Then we hear verse 7. But they had no children, because Elizabeth was barren and they were both well along in years. Here's the heartbreak. In the story behind the song, this old couple longs for a child, but they have no children. And it's, it's, it's helpful to note because today, just as in the ancient world, we can look at the, the horrors of life and think that it's a, a direct punishment on us. The disappointments of life are because of what we've done. And, and sometimes that's true. Sometimes we face the direct consequences of our sin, but sometimes even the righteous will suffer. Elizabeth and Zechariah are righteous in the sight of God. And so part of the Christian answer to such suffering must be that there is an opportunity for us to glorify God even in the midst of our suffering. Now we're told that that Zechariah's division of priests was was chosen to go up to Jerusalem. It was their turn in the rotation. They would normally live out in the country and then on two-week intervals come. And then Zechariah's name is chosen by Lot. It's Basically, his name is pulled out of the hat, and he gets to be one of the priests who will enter the temple. This is the the pinnacle of his priestly service. This is a -a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity. Few priests had the privilege of this task. Yes, they would minister in the courtyard. They would offer the sacrifices, but, but only two each day would enter the temple. And only the high priest on that one day a year of the Day of Atonement would go all the way into the Holy of Holies. But But Zechariah has been chosen. Chosen to go in to to bring the sacrifice, the the incense, to burn the incense, uh, an image of the prayers of God's people going up to God. And he goes in to to intercede. And we can imagine, knowing the the heartbreak of verse 7, we can imagine the, the conversation, perhaps that morning, as Elizabeth reminds him, as you go today to pray, Remember. Remember to pray our prayer. Remember to pray for us as you. The priest brings prayers for the people. And so Zechariah goes into the temple there in the the throne room of God, in the holiness of God, in the presence of God. He offers the, the prayers and the sacrifice. And then, surprisingly, look at verse 11. An angel of the Lord appeared to him standing at the right side of the altar of incense. When Zechariah saw him, he was startled and was gripped with fear. Because that's the only reasonable response to an angel showing up in your life. A, a, a warrior of heaven, a, an angelic heavenly being steps out of the throne room in, of heaven into God's throne room on earth, the temple, and appears to you. The, the, the immediate response is to step back in fear. And so the angel says, look at verse 13. Do not be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayer has been heard. Your wife Elizabeth will bear a son, and you are to give him the name John. He will be a joy and delight to you, and many will rejoice because of his birth, for he will be great in the sight of the Lord. Do you understand the scene? Zechariah walked into the temple of God, offers a prayer, and then immediately has an answer. An angel appears and announces, your prayer has been heard. Now, we don't know if it was just that day's prayer or a lifetime's worth of prayer, because sometimes God's timeline is slower than we would like it to be in answering our prayers. But an angel appears and and announces that, that the He will have a son. He will give him the name John. He will be the the one who ministers just like Elijah in preparing the way for God's Messiah. And look at verse 18. Look at Zechariah's response. How can I be sure of this? I'm an old man, and my wife is well along in years. Now, husbands, you see how, how wise he is? He calls himself old. He calls her well advanced in years. But we can cut to the chase. They're old he see zechariah has his biology right old people don't have babies but he has his theology wrong but but you and i probably probably would have had a similar reaction because many of us today have the same problem with the bible that zechariah had with god's word see we're we're okay with the christmas story as long as it's, it's, it's this sentimental and fuzzy and warm kind of story that we can read around the tree and give each other gifts. We're less comfortable when, when this child grows and, and Jesus announces himself to be the Son of God, the Lord of all. See, we're okay with, with a happy little baby Jesus, but a divine warrior frames us. See, we're okay, we're okay to, to read this as, as human words, but to call it God's word? See, you and I have the same problem that Zechariah had. We just don't like supernatural explanations. And some of us are, are unwilling to, to, to allow it at all. Don't you see what, what's happening here? I mean, Christmas is the, the entering of the supernatural into our lives. An angel has appeared. I mean, I mean think of the foolishness of, of Zechariah. He has walked in, prayed a prayer, and then an angel appears to say the prayer has been answered. I mean, imagine him walking as he's walking in. You know, if, I, if I'm really going to—if I want a sign today that God has heard me and has answered my prayer, what kind of sign could God give me? I don't know, maybe an angel coming from heaven and standing before me in the temple of God. Maybe that would do it, but, but does it do it for Zechariah? No. Zechariah doubts. He, 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 he says, no, I, th- this can't be. This just doesn't work. And so he will be given a sign. He will be— unable to speak until the prophecy of, of this angel Gabriel, the angel who will make his announcement to Mary, until this prophecy comes true and the child is born and he's given the name John. He's given his ministry as the prophet. And so for, for nine months, Zechariah will be silent. Zechariah, having heard the word won't be able to, to speak it. He won't be able to declare the, the announcement of, of what has taken place. And so when he comes out of the, the temple and, and the people outside are wondering what's happened. This is taking longer than normal. I know it's a special day for Zechariah, but he should get on with his task. Did anybody check? Did he take all of his medication today? I mean, you know he's really old. What if something terrible has happened while Zechariah was in there? And so Zechariah comes out, he's unable to speak, and, and he has to try and pantomime he, I me. Mean, he's playing charades to try and explain this. And think of how complicated this, this clue is. An angel of the Lord appeared to me, announced to me that, that my wife and I, who are really old, are going to have a baby. That baby's going to be named John. He's going to be the one who fulfills the prophecy, the, the prophet Elijah coming before him. I mean, he has, to, he has to explain all of that to them without speaking. And for nine months, he will be unable to speak until we... We come to the time when Elizabeth has her baby. She gives birth to a son, and she takes him to the temple. This is, this is now the, the, getting closer to our passage. This is in chapter 1 of Luke, verse 57. Elizabeth gives birth to her son. On the eighth day, they take the child to, to have him circumcised, and, and, and she says his name is to be John. And the family objects. That's a terrible name, they say. I mean, we all know nice Johns. It's, it's a pretty common name around here, but, but there's nobody in the family with the name John. You should call him Zechariah. We've all waited for this day. Zechariah Jr. is here. And so they ask, they, they make motions to him. And so, so it seems that perhaps Zechariah has not only been un, un, unable to speak, but unable to hear for these nine months. He's figured out how to communicate, and so he gets a, a tablet and he says, his name is John. And look with me at verse 64 of chapter 1 of Luke Immediately his mouth was opened and his tongue was loosed and he began to speak praising God the neighbors were all filled with awe and throughout the hill country of Judea people were talking about all these things everyone who heard this wondered about it asking what then is this child going to be for the Lord's hand was with him Zechariah his voice, his tongue finally loosed, his voice finally audible, now offers a song of praise to God. The song that we read. Praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel, because he has come and has redeemed his people. See, the backstory shows us the the heartache, the sorrow, the longing that gives this song greater depth. It's not a frivolous song. It's a song of, of born of the sorrow, but of the promise of God. But this is not merely a song about Zechariah and Elizabeth. The backstory stretches much further back. This is a story about Israel. I mean, notice that's, that's what, how the song begins. Praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel. This is a song for the, for the nation, for the people of God, for God's chosen people. Verse 69, God has raised up a horn of salvation for us. Now, that's not the kind of poetic imagery you and I would, would normally go to, but it's, a, it's an image that comes from the Psalms. It's the, the image of, of power and strength, the, the horns of an animal. That's the business end of the animal. That's the end you don't want to be on. And so to say that God has raised the horn of salvation, God is in the business of salvation. Get out of his way. He's bringing salvation here. God has raised a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David. David, the king who reigned a thousand years ago. See, this is not merely a song about, about Zechariah. This is a song about David. Zechariah is from the tribe of Levi, David is from the tribe of Judah because it is the prophecy that it, it's the lion of the tribe of Judah, a son of David who will reign on the throne. This isn't a song about Zechariah or John. This is a song about God and his promises. God has brought salvation. Now, just look at verse, verse 7. just as he told us. This is, this is what has been said to us. See, sometimes if, if you walk into the middle of the Christmas story and you find a, a baby and some s- smelly shepherds, and some wise men wandering in. The story, the story is, it makes no sense. What's happening here? Why is this kid being born among the, the, the animals? See, it's only when you understand the backstory that you understand the, the way in which God's promises have been filled. But, but the promises stretch even further back, don't they? I mean, look at the, the, the words of salvation from our enemies in verse 71. Or verse 74, to rescue us from the hand of our enemies. I mean, that's the, the reminder that God is the God who rescues his people. And so we can stretch back even, even past where David stands a thousand years and, and go back to the, the rescue of God's people from, from slavery in Egypt, the exodus, the redemption of God's people, the Passover in which God brought, brought salvation to his people. Or even Zechariah's song goes further, doesn't it? Verse 73. Where God remembers the, the promise he made, the Holy Covenant, the oath he swore to our father, Abraham. See, David lived 1,000 years before the time of Christ, Abraham about 2,000 years before. The promises stretch that far. This is where the story begins. God choosing one man, Abraham, another old man given the promise that, that he and his wife would have a child, another man who, who at first doubted, but God proved himself faithful. And I'm glad that in in this story, with with Zechariah's foolishness, his unbelief, we have some in this Christmas story who believe when the promise is announced. So Zechariah has an angel say it to him, and he doesn't believe it. Elizabeth hears the report of the angel, and she believes. Or think of the contrast when when Gabriel, this same angel, appears to, to Mary, and she doesn't ask wait a second, this is impossible. She just says, how will God do this? Her question starts from a place of faith. Zechariah started from a place of doubt. So thankfully, we have some who respond, who see the promises of God being fulfilled. But as Zechariah, in those nine months of silence, pondered what God was doing, he learned the lessons from Israel's history. God is the one who made the promise to David that there would be a king forever, and before that, God rescued us from slavery, and before that, God made the promise to Abraham that, that blessings would come to all the nations through the seed, through the son of Abraham. See, this is Israel's story. And we need to understand the, the ministry of Christ, the work of Christ, in the, in the broader context of what the prophets have already promised to see the way in which Jesus is the true fulfillment of all of the promises of God. And that's, that's what we have here in Luke 1. But Luke, wanting to make sure that we, we really understand this, bookends this truth for us at the end of, of the gospel. And so you can turn with me to Luke 24, the last chapter of this gospel. We have, as, you, as you go through the gospel, you f- find the fulfillment of God's great promises in the death of Jesus Christ, in the place of sinners, in his resurrection from the dead where the angels there at the tomb announce in, in Luke 24, verse 7, the son of the, the, uh, Luke 24, verse 6, Jesus is not here. He has risen. Remember how he told you while he was still with you in Galilee? The Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men. He must be crucified. And on the third day, he must be raised again. So the women hear the angelic announcement, and they believe. And then we're told later that day in Luke 24, that Jesus walks with two disciples on the road to Emmaus. He asks them, they don't recognize him, he asks them in verse 17 of Luke 24, What are you discussing together as you walk along? They stood still, their faces downcast. One of them, named Cleopas, asked him, Are you only a visitor to Jerusalem and you do not know the things that have happened there in these days? What things? Jesus asked. About Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. He was a prophet, powerful in word and deed before God and all the people. Then the chief priests and our rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death, and they crucified him. But we had hoped he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. And what is more, it's the third day since all this took place. In addition, some of our women amazed us. They went to the tomb early this morning, but they didn't find his body. They came and told us they'd seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. Then some of our companions went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but they did not see him. And then Jesus teaches them here that he is the fulfillment of of all of the promises of Scripture. Look at verse 25 of Luke 24. Jesus said to them, How foolish you are! How slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Did not the Christ have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them, what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. You see, Zechariah's song in chapter 1 shows us the, the story of history, of God's redemptive work in the story of Israel, choosing Abraham, rescuing his people from slavery, making an eternal promise to David, now fulfilled in Jesus, and Jesus himself after his resurrection. At the other bookend of this gospel tells us that all of this, this entire story pointed. To Jesus Jesus is here at the center of our Christmas story and so as we go back with Zechariah there as he gives a song of praise, we see the the story, the promise that came to him look and, and so then Zechariah turns and, and prophesies about his son, the son that he couldn't believe could come look at verse 76 back in Luke chapter one in verse 76 Zechariah turns his prophecy toward his own child, and you, my child, will be called a prophet of the Most High. For you will go on before the Lord to prepare the way for him, to give his people knowledge of salvation through the forgiveness of their sins. See, this was the ministry of John the Baptist, the the pinnacle of, of the Old Testament prophets, the prophets who came before Christ to announce the Messiah is coming to prepare God's people. And, and yes, the, the people expected perhaps some, some salvation, maybe some freedom from, from their enemies, maybe for, for this Messiah to overthrow Rome. But the ministry of, of, of John would be to prepare people for salvation, that they would know that there is forgiveness of sins here. Because think of it, when, when Zechariah went into the temple, how long had it been since, since God had spoken to his people? been four centuries since the last of the Old Testament prophets had spoken. The the last prophet of the Old Testament is Malachi. And in Malachi chapter 3, verse 1, we have the promise that there would be the forerunner, John the Baptist, who would come, the one who would come to prepare the way for the Lord. Malachi says, See, I will send my messenger who will prepare the way before me. And for 400 years, there's been a deafening silence. Priests have done their duties day after day, morning and evening. They have walked in. They have offered prayers. They have watched the incense go. They have watched the the incense, the smoke, cross over that veil into the holiest of holies, into God's deepest presence. And they have listened and heard nothing. Until this day, when Zechariah goes in, praying that God would speak, praying for, the, the, for God to, to move forward in, in history, to send the one, and he gets the promise. The promise is now. God is sending a son to be born to this old man, an old woman, a prophet to come and prepare the way for the Lord. And this prophet the, the, will, will prepare the way for Christ, who will fulfill the promises of God. Look back again at Zechariah's song, verses 74 and 75, where where God will keep his promise to rescue us from the hand of our enemies. God will transform us. Look, Look at what it says. He will enable us to serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all our days. God will bring transformation to us. So do you believe it? Do you hear this story? God has spoken. The angel announces the message. The the prophet has come. The way is prepared. Christ is coming. Don Pomas' wife, the bride who danced that day, reflected on that song years later, years after his death. She says, hearing those lyrics, So darling, save the last dance for me. She admits, even decades later, I can't think of that song without feeling very sad. Very sad remembering his pain, his suffering, his longings. But she says, I I, I can't think of that song without feeling very sad and happy at the same time. Because Doc wrote that song for me. See, it's a song of love, a song of hope, a song of promise. See, the story behind the song shows us its depth and power. Don't you see the the story behind Zechariah's song shows us the heartache and the sorrow of this couple, but but more than that, the heartache and longing of the people of God for the promises of God to be fulfilled. And the promise is a promise, look back at verse 78, of the tender mercy of our God. The tender mercy. The loving, faithful, gentle mercy of God. Of God. The forgiveness of sins that is ours. And how does it come to us? It comes by the rising sun, will come to us from heaven to shine on those living in darkness, in the shadow of death, to guide our feet in the path of peace. See, Jesus is the rising sun. Light has dawned. And so, even in our sorrow, we have the promise that Jesus has come and Jesus is coming again. This is a song of Zechariah and of Elizabeth. This is the song of Israel. This is a song about the tender mercy of God. Is this your song? Let me pray for us. Father, we rejoice in the hope of this gospel, the proclamation of salvation, the forgiveness of sins that is offered to us in Jesus. And so, Father, we come today eager to hear your word, but but Lord, we pray that you would would break through our unbelief. For Lord, even with the clarity of of this announcement, even with an angelic messenger, even with your word given to us, Lord, our hearts are stubborn. We resist. So Father, for those who who wrestle now with unbelief, who doubt the truth of this good news, Lord, give them the faith to believe. Open their eyes to see in a new light the glorious hope that you would given us. Lord, for those of us who, who live in, in moments of suffering and pain, let us see your faithfulness, your mercy. Lord, let us live lives that, that show forth holiness and righteousness before you, enabled by your Spirit. Lord, we thank you for your promises, that you sent John to announce the good news, the forgiveness of sins, that you sent Jesus to accomplish that forgiveness through his death, that you have raised him from the dead, and Lord, we long for his return. So, Father, we come praying in the name of Jesus, our Savior. Amen.